Thursday and Friday night games were rough for the Hoos and Hokies, and Wake Forest tried its best to shake up the ACC. We'll talk about all that and get some betting tips from Mike Sveditz of Front Page Bets this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome to Episode 90 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 14-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you this evening? Episode 90, Mike, but the key word there is evening. Is this our first ever After Dark podcast? I think so. We probably should break out the high-end whiskey to celebrate, but... uh, (laughs) And actually, I, I am celebrating because the reason we're recording this in the evening is I've spent the last four days uh, battling an uh, internet company whose name I won't say. Uh, <laughs> finally, got our service back, and uh, David thankfully was very flexible with his schedule, and uh, we're able to record this this evening. But it, it was it was a banner day in this house. We spent the day battling with the internet. Finally, got that working, and in between, I took a little break to go to the dentist. Uh, which is always fun. That's always a good time when you can uh, have somebody poking around in your mouth for 30 minutes. Yeah, I've got two dental appointments coming up next month. Can't wait. I'll tell you what was a little alarming in this one. And, and I like my dentist, but uh, I went in, I had an x-ray and they slapped the x-ray up on the screen and, and then the dentist kept me waiting. And then he came over and he looked at my wisdom teeth, which I've never had out, Oh, and, but it's have never given me a problem. And he looked at them and he said, but they don't seem to be moving. I think we're fine. And he went to take his gloves off and leave. And I, I had to say, well, that's not what I'm here for. <laughs> he went back and looked at his chart and said, oh, that's right. You were having some sensitivity in one of your I said, yeah. And he said, oh, okay. And he put his gloves back on. And I'm like, I, and now I, I have a little more insight into you know, the old, uh, how somebody goes into the hospital and gets the wrong foot removed. Right. Uh, (laughs) Really, you got to be paying attention and (laughs) keep these guys in line. But uh, I'll tell you what, some things need to fall in line right now for Virginia Tech, David. You and I were both there uh, in Blacksburg Thursday night. And before kickoff, it was everything you want, right? It was that great night game atmosphere, rivalry. The fans were out tailgating early. Uh, Really good energy, real juiced for the the Black Diamond Trophy and the rivalry with West Virginia. Uh, and early on, the game kind of fell in, in, in line too, but boy, it got away from the Hokies. It felt like uh, they could never run the ball. The defense wore down. Uh, they end up losing 33-10. to 10. Not a, a good night for, for Virginia Tech. David, what were your big takeaways from the loss to West Virginia? Mike, it, it struck me as the antithesis of Virginia Tech's loss to start the season at Old Dominion, where I think a lot of us walked away that evening thinking, you know, this was kind of a fluke. You know, the the botched field goal that Old Dominion runs back for a touchdown, the, the, the four interceptions. I still think Virginia Tech is better than Old Dominion. But Thursday night in Blacksburg, there was no question that the best team won the football game. West Virginia is superior to Virginia Tech across the board. And I thought it was most glaring. Well, it, it was glaring in the trenches and also at the skill positions. Yeah, uh, West Virginia has three running backs, I think, that could start 
<laughs> for the Hokies and probably two or three wideouts. Yeah, if, if that was an NFL preseason game, Whit Babcock would be on the phone to uh, WVU's athletic director saying, can we make a deal for one of these running backs and maybe yeah. one of these receivers that are down on your depth chart? Because that was the number one thing that jumped out at me was, was here's West Virginia and really no shortage of playmakers, right? No. And, and, no shortage of playmakers. Anywhere they went with a ball, you felt like you could break a tackle here. You could make a, a line. And you kept saying to me, hey, it's only a matter of time. And then, and then they started getting them. Um, and then the other area, and it still falls, I guess, in skill, the quarterback. There was no comparison. Um, yeah. You know, Grant Wells, and Brent Pry came out after the game, and he said Grant Wells is playing well enough for us to win. And, and respectfully, I disagree. I don't think Grant Wells is. And especially with the lack of weapons they have, those two early deep balls he missed on, you know, one or two of those could have been huge plays for that offense. So um, I thought quarterback and skill position, it just was evident that that West Virginia was, and you, like I said, you kept poking me and reminding me in the press box that they were just a, a missed tackle, a slide off, an arm tackle away from from really blowing the thing open. And you look at the final score; that's exactly what they did. Yeah, they really did. And then you mentioned earlier Virginia Tech's inability to to run the football, thirty five yards rushing, albeit on only eighteen attempts. But after a while, why bother? I mean, right. it it became evident quite early, especially with, you know, third and one and fourth and one. And I thought the fourth and one was a really lame call, the keeper by by Wells. And and what really blew my mind there was they called timeout after getting stuffed on third and one. So you're thinking, okay, they're going to come up with something here, imaginative, and they didn't and West Virginia just stoned them. Yeah, and David, the thing that surprised me there, because you're right, once you call the timeout, you're thinking, okay, they've got something for this situation, right? They can't just run the ball. They can't just line up and power it. We've seen that all night. But I'm going to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt of saying, okay, that's the identity Brent Pry wants. He wants to be a team that on fourth and one can just mash you and get that yard. He doesn't have that team yet, but you've got to kind of lay the groundwork. My question was, why not use Connor Blumrick who's a lot bigger and, and mm-hmm. I mean, it just seems like if, if that's the way you're going, that you're right. going to line up and mash them, that's your guy. So um, that was disappointing in general, I thought, and I wrote about this after the game, but I thought that the identity that they want, the identity they talk about, being that power run team that Virginia Tech used to be, being that dominant defense that Virginia Tech used to be, uh, making great plays in special teams, Beamer ball, all the things they want to be, none of it showed up on a big Thursday night. And that to me was really disappointing. And Mike, we've been talking for, I don't know, seven or eight minutes. We haven't even mentioned penalties. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the mistakes they made. And again, when you are not the team with all the playmakers and when you are the, the team that that's going to need some things to go your way, you just can't hurt yourself, shoot yourself in the, in the foot the way they did. Um, not just penalties, which, you don't want penalties, right? Sign of an undisciplined team. But the timing of the penalties, oh. I mean, they were killers. They were third down stops getting erased. For the fourth, uh, the fourth down, fourth right? Down. Yeah. I mean, it, those are the things that just break the back. And, and I thought Brent Pry made a really good point after the game. He said, you know, we asked somebody asked him about the fatigue and the defense and wearing down. And he said, you know, we can't play that many snaps on that side of the ball. We we have to protect our guys. And those penalties forced you to play more snaps 
when you're wearing down. And, and yeah, that was a huge factor, a huge factor, maybe not in who wins and loses that one, but a huge factor in the way it got away from them in the second half. Yeah. 15 penalties, the same number that they had at old dominion and the yardage, which I think was a buck 35 is the second most yards they've ever had in penalties in the Virginia tech database, which goes back to 1987. Uh, outdone only by that 2005 ACC championship game uh, down in Jacksonville against Florida State. <laughs> Those are not milestones that you want to be hitting. And no. uh, when, when you're held to the fewest rushing yards since and the most penalty yards mm-hmm. since, that's not going to add up for you. And, and then, you know, again, we've talked a few times on this podcast with Brent Pry, with Tony Elliott, about the idea of these are, are rookie head coaches. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was a decision going into the half that I don't know that it was the wrong decision, David, but it backfired. Oh, the, the, the timeout. The timeout. So West Virginia is lining up to kick a field goal, and Brent Pry calls timeout to save time on the clock to give his offense the chance to run their two-minute drill. Now, we're not in practice. Maybe that thing just hums in practice, that two-minute mm-hmm. drill. and that. But to me, their offense looked overmatched. I thought, let the clock run and get out of there was the play there. He elected to take the timeout. The two-minute drill did nothing. Gave the ball back to West Virginia. Defense wearing down. They give up the drive for the touchdown. Penalty aided. Uh, the, the drive for the uh, go-ahead touchdown at the half. And I thought that was the turning point of the game right there. Um, certainly that touchdown. Um, but it makes me wonder if that's what your offense is capable while you're taking that timeout. Yeah, because now you're down, what, 13-6 at the break instead of leading 7-6, right? Right. And it's just a totally, a completely yeah. different vibe. Yes. Um, it, it felt like the dam was breaking. Whereas I think if that doesn't happen, and again, it's it's not in a nutshell, I don't hate it, but he's got to know what he has. And it's kind of what you were talking about with the fourth and one call, right? I get it. You want to be a team that on fourth and one lines up and says, our 11 guys are going to move the ball a yard on your 11 guys. But you also have to know you don't have that right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I get it, man. You want to be aggressive, call that timeout, give your offense a chance to do something. You've got to understand that right now you don't have a quarterback uh, and the skill position players. You don't have a two-minute offense to do that. So I, I thought that was questionable and then very easy to question because it backfired. But obviously hindsight, <laughs> always twenty twenty. David, I, I thought if there was something positive, and it's going to be a big deal going into this game. Uh, they play at Carolina Saturday. Their red zone defense was pretty good. Um, held them to field goals three separate times. Uh, against Carolina, you're going to have to do that because Carolina is almost perfect right now, getting in the red zone, scoring touchdowns. Um, I was impressed with a team that struggled to tackle and committed a lot of dumb penalties. They seemed to get their their stuff together there inside the 20. They did, and you're 100% right. They're going to need it Saturday in, in Chapel Hill. Uh, think Mac Brown chose the right quarterback in uh, tr- training camp. Drake May, he's been sixteen I mean, touchdown passes, which shares the national lead through only four games and one pick. Yeah, and and he is a guy who the opposite of what we said with Wells. He's got some great skill players around yeah. him. I mean, Josh Downs, we all knew, and now Antoine Green, who a year ago we heard a lot about, and, and then he was out. Um, yeah, I think Saturday was his debut, right, yeah, for the season? Two, and two touchdowns. I mean, they've really got some weapons, um, and, and I've been really impressed, and it goes back to this, I've been really impressed with some of their short passing game. Um, they scored three red zone touchdowns 
uh, this past week in the loss to Notre Dame, all three came on passes that were either three or four yards. Um, and they went to different guys. They went to Downs. They went to the running back. So uh, Marion Hampton. So they really are not just this over-the-top threat. There's a precision passing game, which is pretty impressive with a young guy behind center. It absolutely is. And if Virginia Tech can't move the ball Saturday, <laughs> then when? Yeah. Because right now, the Tar Heels are among the worst defenses in college football in any category you want to look at. And just to frame it in context, entering Saturday, Notre Dame was averaging 18.3 points and 300 yards a game. The Fighting Irish scored 45 on 576 yards against Carolina and nearly evenly split 287 rushing, 289 passing. Yeah, Tommy Reese could not call a wrong play. Uh, Carolina leads the nation defensively in one statistic. Coordinators who are national championship winning coaches. Uh, Gene, <laughs> yes. Chizik, Gene Chizik was brought in to fix a problem. And, and you know, certainly the, the jury's out, right? He, he wasn't expected to fix it. But right now, the early returns are not promising. Th- things have not gotten better. And, and I understand that there's groundwork to lay and there, there's things like that. But um, right now, things are not trending in the right direction defensively for the Tar Heels. Gave up 40 points in the fourth quarter to Appalachian State. Yeah, that was a wild so, quarter. So, yes, they 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 have some some issues to correct. And you know, Virginia Tech maybe is is this the week that Malachi Thomas mm-hmm. co- comes back? The, the Hokies sure could could use some juice in the running game. Uh, I I don't know, but th- th- they need to find some answers. They really do. And and it does feel like, and maybe we're wrong here, it feels like one of these units is going to get right this mm-hmm. weekend against an inferior opponent, or it could just be a horrible matchup where the offense isn't very good, the defense isn't very good. You know what I mean? Like We, we love strength on strength, which is why we were so excited about the West Virginia offense against the Tech defense. Uh, we're less excited about weakness on weakness, but it may be more uh, telling going forward. If Grant Wells can't get going against this defense, I don't know that Virginia Tech has another option, but what do they do? I r- try to run the football then because <laughs> Carolina seems equally unable to, to stop the, the run and the pass. And Mike Hokey's faithful and those of us who were there remember the hurricane game in Chapel Hill between these two programs. Well, we may be looking at some more weather on Saturday afternoon there. So uh, that might play a factor as well. Yeah, it could, could make things interesting. And, and if, they, if they need to understand how to call plays that focus on the run game, well, they can just look at their rival, UVA, because despite Brennan Armstrong, despite all those weapons at receivers, Tony Elliott has followed through on his vow that they are going to be balanced. Now, at what cost? This weekend, Friday night, they go up to Syracuse. It's another slow start for Armstrong, who's admitted he's having some trouble adapting to this new offense, to the balance, to the game manager role, to the checkdowns. They made a change at center with Justice Johnson coming in, um, trying to get that unit a little bit more functional. But uh, they would end up losing 22-20. They don't get going until midway through the third quarter offensively. 
there are some problems right now for this UVA offense, problems that, that I don't think we anticipated in terms of Armstrong and the receivers. No, we, we did not. And, and they just, they remain out of sorts. And Brennan Armstrong has admitted he's frustrated, and I, I don't blame him uh, because he's accustomed to, to producing it at, at such a high level. And they, they did get more effective running from, from Parrish Jones, especially in the second half. But he and Dontavian Wicks especially, they just look – completely lost just in terms of their personal connection. It seems to have vanished. Yeah, it's the strangest thing. And and when Wicks, sometimes Wicks is open and Armstrong misses him. And sometimes Wicks get open and Armstrong hits him and Wicks drops the ball. We saw another couple drops from him in this game. Um, and this is a receiving core that, I mean, David, it, not, not only did they not have many drops last year, they were making the tough catches, the contested catches. I mean, yeah. there were plays where Armstrong would scramble around, keep it going, and he'd throw a ball that we'd kind of gasp and Wicks would come down with it or Keaton Thompson would come down with it. Now you've got Lavelle Davis, who's got that height advantage, but it's just not working. He's not getting into the rhythm. Um Again, and I do think part of it is the offense and play calling. And it sounds funny to say he's not getting in rhythm by design, but you know they, they don't want him to go into the half having thrown the ball 25 times, uh, understandably. And I, I think Tony Elliott and Des Kitchens, I think the offense they're building is a more sustainable offense for this program long term. You're, you're not always going to have a Brennan Armstrong. You're not always going to have a Dontavian Wicks and Lavelle Davis, Keaton Thompson, Billy Kemp. They need to get him back healthy. Um but right now, it does feel a little bit like they're kind of squandering all these weapons with this um, sort of middle-of-the-road, check-down kind of offense. Mike, they may may not have this caliber of quarterback and wide out in the future, so I would strongly suggest that they ride those cats yeah. while they have them. Yeah, get get while the getting's good. Mm-hmm. Um no, I'm with you, and 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 again, you know, we've we've talked to Coach Elliott about that, and and you know, he's he's committed to to the style of football he wants to play, uh, the balance, the checkdowns, uh, but it just it just I understand Armstrong's frustration, and I get the fans' frustration because you're just waiting for them to to let the guy loose. Now, that being said, they only lost by two points. They missed a couple field goals, had an extra point blocked. Their defense kept them in this game, and and their defense looks increasingly like a unit that could maybe win some games for, for them. Chico Bennett uh, on the defensive line uh, or outside backer, however you want to label his position right now. Uh, he he was a wrecking ball. Aaron Famui has done that. Uh, I really like what I'm seeing from this defense. I thought Sanker was really good too. Yeah. Like really good. Yeah. A like, fumble like, recovery, uh, interception. And 10 tackles. Yeah. No, he, I, I thought he was exceptional the other night and has been good for, for most of the year. Mike, how peculiar is it that in road losses to Illinois and Syracuse, the Cavaliers in each of those games forced four turnovers. <laughs> That's almost an infallible recipe for victory. Right. Well, especially, and it goes back and, and I, I know we're just, we're, we're a little bit of the, of the broken record on this, but you tell me you're playing Syracuse and you're going to give Brendan Armstrong four extra possessions. I assume you're scoring 42 points, right? I mean, I just assume that, okay, you, four extra possessions here. You know, three of them are going to be touchdowns and, and your point total is going to be through the roof. Um, just hasn't been the case. And, and the same thing, you're right, against Old Dominion. It's it's turnovers 
to keep them in the game and to keep their head above water when it should be turnovers to just set up what should be lopsided victories. Yeah, and, and how many yards did they limit Sean Tucker to? Yeah, Tucker did not have a huge game. He didn't um, have any kind of a game. And and it's uh and he got injured at one point too, which yes. was certainly scary for Syracuse because you know it's interesting too, and we got a chance to to see this Robert and I, Jason Beck offense at Syracuse, which I talked to Garrett Schrader, the quarterback at Syracuse. I talked to Aranda Gadsden, the wide receiver, going into the game, and they talked about all the things that Armstrong's missing right now at UVA, the, the freedom to just make plays, to kind of wing it, to backyard ball it. And, but we're also seeing what Anai can do with a run game, right? Because mm-hmm. he's got a little bit of both. Now you're right. I thought Virginia was great shutting it down Friday night. But it's interesting that um, with that element, Robert and I is not trying to throw the ball 55 times, but he's still finding a way in, in 24 passes uh, to give his quarterback and receivers that freedom that, that they crave. And, uh, It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I mean, Syracuse is one of the surprises, certainly in the ACC, maybe of the country. Um, as I got ready to do my top 25 ballot, I think I had them 26 or 27. I just just on the outside looking in, uh, which I certainly did not anticipate going into this year. No, sitting there four and zero, one of four undefeated teams in the in the ACC Atlantic Division, and you know, c- credit to Garrett Schrader in that offense. That's Two consecutive games now, mm-hmm. they have they have won deep, deep, deep into the fourth quarter, coming from behind. Granted, both at home, but first Purdue, and then Virginia. But you mentioned Virginia Tech's red zone defense earlier. How about UVA's red zone defense, F- forcing Syracuse to settle for five Schmidt field goals? Yeah, Schmidt had obviously had a you know great week and a great game, but that's what I mean. I mean, you've got this defense that is forcing turnovers, getting red zone stops, and then this offense that just and David, it's it's like looking at a, a photograph negative of last season where the offense just kept putting up points and the defense just could never stop anybody. Mm-hmm. And you kept thinking, man, if they could just if the defense could just make one stop, Virginia's going to win by two scores. And now you've got this year's team and you're thinking if the offense could just score one touchdown, the defense is going to win this game for them. Uh, it's amazing how that identity has flipped uh, just in a calendar year. It really has. And, you know, they have owned Duke <laughs> for, for quite a while now. But what a curious game you have Saturday night at Wallace Wade. Yeah, I, I know Duke lost, obviously, at Kansas on Saturday, but the Devils gave the unbeaten Jayhawks a game, and Riley Leonard, he's not the best freshman quarterback in the league because of Drake May, but that young man has been pretty efficient. I think his completion percentage is low 70s. It's unbelievable. And and you're right. You know, I, I mentioned Syracuse being one of the biggest surprises. Duke, another one. Duke was three and zero going into a, a matchup with three and zero Kansas, which sounds like the basketball national championship game, but it was <laughs> ended up being and, and and not fluky. It ended up being a well played, good football it, it game. It did, I, yeah. Um, I got to watch some of that, and I recorded some of that since Virginia was playing, and, and watched it again. Uh, both of those teams look like quality football teams. Mike Elko's done a really nice job in a short period of time there at Duke. Uh, you know, new coach at Virginia, new coach at Duke. I don't know how much of that Virginia Duke history matters anymore. And, and, you know, the coaches will love to tell us that it doesn't matter, but sometimes it does. This one, I wonder, I mean, this feels like two very different programs right now. You know, it absolutely does. And 
Mike, let me run something past you. If you're Mike Elko and you're looking for a little motivation for, for, for your club Saturday, and it, it would take a little bit of humility on, on his part because he'd have to concede that he was not Duke's first choice for the job. But it's pretty well known that Tony Elliott, he could have had the Duke job. He could have had the Virginia job. He chose UVA. Yeah. And if Mike Elko stands in front of his team and says, that guy in the other locker room, he had the chance to coach you, but he didn't want you. He wanted those guys. Why don't you go out there and show him what a mistake he made? Oh, it's you're absolutely 100% right. That, that speech is <laughs> done for him. And here's the thing that, that always int- intrigued me about that storyline, and, and, and now it's here, is Tony Elliott publicly talked about that choice. and. I wondered at the time, especially with it being an ACC team, a rival, a division opponent, mm-hmm. and then he talked about it at ACC Media Day when Mike Elko's there. You know what I mean? It just, and I think Tony Elliott is a really classy guy. It, 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 I don't know if it didn't strike him or didn't occur to him that that might seem a little out of bounds. It struck me every time I've heard it, the fact that he's like, I could have been at Duke, I could have been at Virginia, and this is what I picked. Uh, yeah. I made the same choice, by the way, and I think you would have. Oh, I'm not faulting his decision. Yeah. Yeah. I'm questioning the wisdom. Yeah. When you've got to play these guys every yep. year of letting it be known that you said, nah, I want these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're right. And, and I think it is a uh, it is a Hollywood level horny <laughs> butt speech that you can give in that locker room. And it would work. It would work on me. Yes. I mean, I, I'm just going back to like my high school days. And if, if we had played a team who earlier in the year faced somebody whose coach had left to coach them. Um, so not our team, but these two teams in our league and the coach left one school to coach the other school because they had better players. And David, guess who won the game? It wasn't the team with the better players. Yeah, It was the team that could not believe their coach left them. Now, this isn't quite as dramatic, but you can certainly spin it that way. I, I think I think you're absolutely right. That adds a lot of juice to, to what's already a good traditional rivalry. Yeah, I think it's it's a fascinating game. It really is, and, and I'm looking forward to it. And I'm very curious because it's very few places in the ACC would I say this about, but there, but there are few. Duke basketball, when you go there, that's as good an environment as there is. Right. When being yeah. in Cameron, I mean, that place is oh, yeah. Duke football is <laughs> as bad an environment as there's been. I mean, nobody shows up. And um, I'm curious with this start and with Virginia and the rivalry and all that, if there isn't a, I'm not saying it's going to be, I'm not saying it's going to be the horseshoe, right? It's not going to be the big house. I get that. But I'm very curious for a night game against a rival with a good start uh, and this added storyline, if there isn't going to be a little more life in Wallace Wade. Hope so. I hope so, too. It's more fun that way, right? More fun for us. Well, we're joined now by Mike Sveditz, General Manager of Front Page Bets. He's going to help us go through some of these lines for for the weekend's uh, action. Mike, good to talk to you. Hey, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on, bud. Absolutely. So let's start with what looked, Mike, like a big game in the preseason, Virginia Tech at North Carolina. Now, both of those teams uh, have been pretty disappointing, but uh, the Tar Heels, Mac Brown's team, they're a nine-point favorite. What do you make of this matchup? Yeah, it, again, still trying to figure out what what Virginia Tech is all about. Um, you know, they they've had some games this year that you you look at it and you go, 
man, you know, they, they, they lost to ODU. Um, you know, the, we talked about the West Virginia game last, last week and, and how I think West Virginia, you know, was just the better team. And then they go to Boston college and they win and they beat Wofford. Um, you know, their defense is playing well, um, you know, game for game playing well, but you know, their, their offense is still struggling, you know, to score. I mean, they've scored the most points they've scored 33, or sorry, excuse me, 27 against Wofford, 27 against Boston College. And you're, you're thinking, you know, can this team score consistently? Can they go on the road and win? Can can they play a North Carolina team that we saw, you know, put some, you know, crazy numbers up against against App State in a shootout and all, all the all the things that, you know, in the first four weeks of the season you're trying to figure out. But when it comes to, to, to can Virginia Tech even win the game straight up, they're two and two, obviously straight up, but against the spread, they're one and three. So they've they've only they've only covered once eight and a half point nine point favorites depending on what book you look at going in um, you know to play the Tar Heels and and Virginia Tech is zero and four uh, in the over under they have not they have not gone over in four games so they've gone under every point spread which is fifty seven according to DraftKings right now so if you're looking at going with just the trends and and if you look at North Carolina North Carolina is two and two against the spread three and one they've they've gone over three out of the four games that they played so if you're looking at and you say okay well i'm gonna bet virginia tech to not cover you know i'm taking unc on the money line probably straight up and to to for virginia tech not even getting close to the over so if you're looking at this game and you're betting this game or if you're at least looking do does the, do the hokies stand a chance you know the stats and the trends we've four four games in now mike you, you know you are what you are kind of almost at this point and uh you know as acc will play will start they've only played one acc game they're one and oh in the conference but i think you go north carolina then you got pittsburgh then you got miami then you got nc state uh you know the Hokies have got got a tough road to hoe and so i'm looking at north carolina cover and the under here in this game sounds good then virginia who uh certainly has has had their struggles as well and had their chances to pull one out at syracuse they go to duke as a two-point underdog now they have traditionally been very good against duke but Obviously, a new coach at Duke, a new coach at Virginia, and some of the struggles that we've talked about a bunch on this show today uh, for Virginia. Duke, a two-point favorite in Durham over UVA. What do you make of this matchup? Uh, I, again, I wish I knew which Virginia team would show up to. Is it the Virginia team from last year or is it the Virginia team from this year? You know, losing to Syracuse on Friday night the way they did. They came back in the second half. You know, Virginia's had some really tough, close games. Games that I thought that they either should have never been in, in the first place or they should have rolled. I think they're a better team than Syracuse. Again, playing on the road Friday night, a little, you know, tough place to play. Two point favorites, fifty six and a half is the is the over under. You look at Virginia, look at some of the trends. They're one and three against the spread. They're zero and four again. Have not reached the over yet this season. Duke two and two against the spread. Also one and one and three um, hitting the under. Only going over one time and three times on the under. But you know Duke is three and one straight up, and and they're playing at home. To you know you give the home team you know three points. Usually I like Duke here until Virginia can consistently show up and, and dominate the way that some people thought they would offensively. Look, if you look at, you look at them offensively, you know, they're 11th in the, in the, in the, in the conference and offense. And this is a team that, you know, thought would be able to light up the scoreboard and they haven't hit the over once this year. Well, a couple teams that did light up the scoreboard have big ACC games. I, I know it's not from the Commonwealth, but let's take a look 
Clemson and Wake just played an absolute thriller, yeah. double overtime thriller. Now Clemson hosts NC State. Uh, the Tigers are a touchdown favorite. What do you make of NC State at Clemson and the over-under, the defense of NC State against what all of a sudden, Mike, is an offense that maybe we we believe in a little bit at Clemson? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, DJ Wangalele, Wangalele really, I've been practicing that name all day, by the way, really, really stepped up and showed what he could do when he came in for Trevor Lawrence two years ago. You know, he was kind of christening, you read David Teal's column. I thought it was an excellent column uh, this, this, this weekend about kind of that offense and kind of DJ really kind of making it his own and doing everything that everybody thought he would do coming in the season. Remember going into last season and this season, he was in the top five Heisman hopefuls. Would you look at this when you looked at futures betting, DJ was up in the top five competing with not as high as, you know, CJ Stroud or, or Bryce Young, but he was in the conversation. And I really think he's trying to make this offense his own Clemson still undefeated in the top five, that game against wake and wakes, not the wake forest. You know, it's not your daddy's wake forest anymore. You know, they, they're a tough team to play. And I think we saw a little bit of Clemson who Clemson can be and will be as they as they move on. And NC state got another quarterback that can, I really like the quarterback play in this game. And I think really whoever has the ball last is really going to make a difference in this game. And, and so take the over and, uh, you know, I think Clemson wins, um, but it's going to be a close. It's going to be, I think it's going to be another shootout. Yeah. I, th- I thought seven was big, but uh, if it goes down to overtime again, that could be exactly yeah, where exactly. it ends up. Uh, and then the same question, when you look at uh, Wake Forest, then goes to Florida state, you would have assumed, or at least I would have going into the year that wake with Sam Hartman uh, would have been a big favorite over a Florida state program. That's just scuffled in recent years, but, but the Seminoles have been good this year uh, and Vegas took note. Florida state is a four point favorite. Mm-hmm. Again, they are at home uh, against wake forest. And certainly there's an element of a letdown. I'm sure for wake the way the Clemson game ended and having to come right back. But what do you make of wake forest at Florida state, the Seminoles uh, four point favorite? Yeah, you know, Florida State cracks the top 25 for, for for what seems like the first time in forever, Mike, if we're being honest. You know, they're undefeated. They're in the top 25. We talked about Wake Hartman, you know, coming out back of that injury. Was he going to play this year? Was he going to be healthy enough to play? He comes in. And, and I think Mike Norvell, what he's doing in Tallahassee has been just a complete turnaround program. Doak used to be a really tough place to play. And until Florida State kind of reestablishes themselves, what they're starting to do – you kind of never wanted to go against the Seminoles at home. Um, Wake Forest comes in smarting off that off that offensive performance. I don't know if it's going to be the same type of game that we saw against Clemson for Wake Forest offensively. I think you got Florida State. Both teams, you know, it, it, again, it's tough in the ACC having having an offense. You know, usually say, okay, we're going to take, but it, I think defense is going to win this game. I think whoever makes the most stops, obviously, I like the Seminoles at home. And uh, you know, Florida State again is four and zero straight up and three and one against the spread. So I like the, I like the Seminoles here at home. Yeah, I mean, I, a lot of great things certainly for Wake in that Clemson game, but uh, defense wasn't one of them. So that's no, probably not at all. Not, not where I have my money at this point. Well, I'll just put my money wherever you tell me. So Mike Sveditz from Front Page Bets, thanks again for joining us. All right, Mike, thanks, bud. All right, David. Well, let's take a look around around the ACC and let's start looking back at just a whale of a game. Wake Forest and Clemson, you were there uh, down in Winston-Salem. The first thing that jumped out to me was, hey, people in Winston-Salem seem excited about football, which which yeah. is not always the case. They're, they're getting behind what Dave Clawson's building there, and, and certainly the magnitude of the opponent helped. And then 
let's focus on the good stuff, David. That was an offensive shootout. That was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, we can talk about the fact that Clemson, who I keep saying is one of the three best defenses in the country, looked lost on defense. Their corners just got torched. And we can talk about the fact that Wake Forest in its Super Bowl couldn't make a defensive stop the whole game. But let's start with the good stuff. Man, that, that had to be a lot of fun, the atmosphere and the points. 100%. Sam Hartman and DJ Uyunglele combined for 11 touchdown passes and no picks. Yeah. And you Start wrote about this. That's the DJ that that's the DJ we heard we were going to see a year ago. It was Notre Dame DJ. Yeah. Is, is is what it was from from his freshman year when Trevor Lawrence was hurt and he went in there and threw for more than 400 against a number four Notre Dame team that eventually made the college football playoff. Now, the Tigers lost that game in double overtime. They won Saturday's game in double overtime. But DJU was really good, especially when they needed him, because they were behind not only in the fourth quarter, but also in overtime. And he he threw some absolute dimes. And he and just for good measure, he ran for 50-some-odd yards. Uh, he was he was superb. And it was just, Mike, number one, it was the first game ever in Wake Forest that featured a ranked Deacons team against a top-five opponent. That had never happened. Number two, Wake Forest was looking to end a 62-game losing streak against top-ten opponents dating back to 1946. And it was a, it was attempting to end a 13-game losing streak against Clemson. And it could have been such a signature moment for the program. But as, as you mentioned, they, they couldn't get a stop when they needed it. And at the end of regulation, and you, know, you, you were mentioning earlier how easy it is to second-guess coaches. So I'll take a chance here and second-guess the reigning ACC Coach of the Year and Dave Clawson. But in the final minute of regulation, with the score tied on a fourth and five from near midfield, he punted. And he said five yards, it, were just, it was just a little too much to get. And I'm like, oh, man, if I'm this close and I'm playing at home and I've got Sam Hartman and I've got A.T. Perry and Hartman's already thrown six touchdown passes – I believe I'm going for it, man. I get that. And I especially get it when you just look at the way. And again, maybe it was a bad night for Clemson, but that their corners just looked befuddled. I mean, the the pass interference. In their their defense, Mike, they were down three guys in the secondary. Yeah, they they, they were playing some young kids. Yes. um, A freshman and and I think a sophomore. uh, But the it was like either a pass interference yep. or they were giving up a long completion. Yes. Um, and with that in mind, I, I'm with you. Um, that felt like a very attackable group. Uh, you'd attack them all night long. Um, again, it go, kind of goes back to what we're saying with Pry in the fourth and one. Your mentality has to be go for it there if you're mm-hmm. awake because you've been building, right? This isn't Dave Clawson's first year. He's built this uh, program into something really, really special. Um, and as you mentioned, they had their chances and, and that could have been a, a really special moment for them now. And now it's NC State who gets their shot at Clemson at Clemson this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is the game that most people thought if Clemson's going to lose an ACC game, uh, this will be it. But 
certainly Wake in position to test them. Florida State now in position to test them. But NC State at Clemson, NC State, their defense to me is right now maybe even outplaying Clemson. Uh, what do you make of, of this matchup? First of all, it's it's <clears throat> as our friend Andrew Carter tweeted the other day after his research, it's the first game in NC State football history in which a top 10 Wolfpack team has faced a top 10 opponent. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah. But it's on the road. College game day is going to be there. Uh, it's one of two ranked-on-ranked team games in, in the ACC, both in the Atlantic Division. The other one is Wake at, at Florida State. There's only five ranked-on-ranked games in the whole country. <laughs> we can, there's two of them in, in the Atlantic Division. But, um, you know, you, you, you mentioned State's defense. They're good on all three levels. Yeah. yeah. Really, they, they had that huge pick six against Texas Tech two weeks ago that, that, that turned that game. And their linebackers are especially good now that they're healthy. They got so banged up there last season. And, you know, the one thing, Devin Leary hasn't been Devin Leary yet. <laughs> no. And so, so you keep waiting for for that to happen. Yeah, you know, I, I need to look it up. But our, our friend David Hale, I, I don't know if you saw this, had a tweet. Uh, now, David will tell you he's got the advantage of the, the ESPN stats crew right. uh, to dig some of this stuff up for him. But he had a tweet uh, today about quarterback play in the ACC that uh, – did you see – do you know where I'm, I'm headed? No, I, 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 okay. I didn't see it. So um, I'm scrolling through my, my Twitter feed here to find it. But it was a ranking of – ACC's total quarterback ranking, rankings, QBR, QB ratings, through week four. Do you know who's number one? Drake May. Nailed it. Drake May is number one at 88.8. Here are your bottom six guys. Number nine, Devin Leary. Number 10, Grant Wells. Number 11, Tyler Van Dyke at Miami. Who just got benched, by got the way. Benched. I mean, we were talking about maybe Heisman, fringe Heisman guy. And that's where he is. 12 is Jeff Sims at Georgia Tech. Certainly we'll get into their struggles. Number 13, next to last in the ACC, Brennan Armstrong from UVA. And dead last, and I blame his offensive line, Phil Dracovic at Boston yeah. College. You could make the case, as I look at this list, with the top being May, Travis, and Leonard. Four, you get to Sam Hartman, who we knew was great. Yeah. But those top three, if you told me they were going to be one, two, three at the bottom or the top of that list, I would have said bottom, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A couple of rookies and a guy coming off an injury. And instead, the bottom the bottom half is – and so to your point, Leary has not been uh, where he we think he will be. We still think he's a good player. Oh, yeah. That defense keeps him in things. If he gets going – and this is what fascinates me about NC State-Clemson this weekend. Is it Devin Leary who breaks out, especially if Clemson is still banged up in the secondary? Does DJU beat that great NC State defense and show that that, that wasn't a – a one-off game against Wake that he's ready to be the player we think he can be, or do we get an Iowa, <laughs> an Iowa type football score and, and and both the defenses show up? I I don't know. I can't even begin to tell you where I'd go on an as Mike Svet has just talked about on an over under in that game. No, I would not touch over under there. Um, I I think both quarterbacks will rise to the occasion. Now, how much business they'll be able to do in in totality against the the defenses they'll be facing is another matter. But uh, I I can't wait 
for this game. It, it may be the ACC game of the year. And if, if it's not, then we may be looking down the road at, say, Clemson and Florida State or who knows, Clemson, Syracuse, or there, there, there are so many, so many possibilities there in the Atlantic. I say all on the Atlantic side. Now on the flip side. Oh, dude, it was this not will not good, be. <laughs> this will not be the ACC game of the year. But Georgia Tech uh, goes to Pittsburgh. Jeff Collins, the coach, and Todd Stansbury, the AD, will not be making that trip with them. Uh, Collins and Stansbury both out, both fired. Uh, Collins failure, essentially taking Stansbury out down there. Uh, Not that it's a surprising move. This is what year four for Jeff Collins and just hasn't been able to get going. I think everybody knew this was a make or break year for him. Um, Surprised at all by the timing. Yeah, I I am. I mean, this early in the season, I thought, you know, maybe you wait till the bye week. um, If, if you're going to do it in season, but clearly they were of a mind, and I don't blame them, that they weren't going to let Todd Stansbury, even though he's a former Georgia Tech football player, you would think no one would be more qualified to go hire a coach for Georgia Tech football than he. I mean, he's it's not like he was a rookie AD, came from Oregon State, but it just it, it didn't work out. So that they wanted to you know, clean house there. So I'm presuming the new AD can, can hire the new coach. And Mike, we were talking about the coastal <laughs> coastal division teams played five non-conference games last week against FBS opponents and went, Oh, and five. <laughs> I Brutal. Mean, it was, it was just gruesome. You know, and, and, and Dukes, you, you, you can, I mean, that, they they played a credible game on the road. Yeah, that was very good against Kansas. You you knew Georgia Tech was not going to beat Central Florida, but the other three got borderline embarrassed. You know, Virginia Tech at home against West Virginia, Carolina at home against Notre Dame, and Miami mm. at home against a Middle Tennessee State team <laughs> that oh by the way lost its opener in Harrisonburg. By 37 points. I'm glad you brought that up because every week when I put out my top 25 ballot, there is a fan base that is unhappy with me. And I I think that's probably par for the course for most voters. Um, It's been Utah. It's been Florida. It's been USC. It's been Penn State this year. This week, although in a very good natured way, I think uh, it's the JMU fans who got some votes in the AP top 25 (laughs) and felt like me as their former beat writer. Should have had them in my top 12. I had Kansas in that last spot. They thought it should have been JMU there, which I totally get. That's what makes you fans. Uh, but JMU, I mean, this is this is one of the best stories in college football this year. Yeah. Down 28 to three in the second quarter in Boone last week. They're dead. They're not going to win. App State's rolling. App State's beating Texas A&M. App State's beating Troy on Miracle on the Mountain Part 2. They're playing at home. They're just going to put the pedal to the metal and it's going to be over. JMU allowed Appalachian State, Mike, 40 yards on its final six possessions. <laughs> that's that's amazing. And Todd Santeo is a really dynamic quarterback for Colorado State transfer. And they score the last 29 points of the game to, to win it 32-28. And there are only two group of five 
teams in the country that are undefeated, and they both reside in the Sun Belt East. Coastal Carolina. Madison and Coastal Carolina. Yeah. And just just a, the Sun Belt delivering already, right, on, on everything that they talked about, what they wanted to be, and uh, this fun regional conference with great rivalries that was going to go out and then, you know, hang with the big guys. Well, they've, they've been able to do that. Uh, and JMU just off to an, an awesome start. Uh, happy for everybody there in Harrisonburg. You didn't get my top 25 vote this week, but you did get a mention here at the end of the podcast. So I hope you were listening. Thank you all for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple podcasts, wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the times dispatch. You can find special promotion offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer and yours truly. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe, and please join David and me again next week. <laughs>